We're living in the age of podcasting, which also means the age of podcast networks with large back catalogs, long-running series, limited programming, and even cross-network collaborations. How are publishers supposed to keep this all organized? With Spreaker, of course. Spreaker's customizable publisher plan lets you organize your content exactly how you want it and gives you enough pod tech tools to monetize the largest back catalogs. If you're into premium offerings for subscribers, check out Spreaker's customized RSS feeds to upload and schedule exclusive content with ease. Or use our campaign manager to manage different campaigns from one central platform. Once your podcast business gets big enough, you can even add multiple networks to one account and collaborators assigned to each one. That helps keep the true crime series away from the comedy podcasts and make sure you get the advertisements that will resonate the most with your listeners. So let's move from the age of podcasting to the age of the podcast network with Spreaker. Head to Spreaker.com to learn more. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello and welcome to the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I am your other co-host, Brent J. Cohen. Uh, Brent, it's been a little while since I uh, co-hosted with you, so I'm looking forward to this because we are talking about one of the subjects, uh, one of the issues that, like, I'd say interests me uh, most, um, but also is just deeply, deeply depressing (laughs) uh, that we cover pretty often. So on today's show, we are going to come back to a conversation that we had on one of our first Generation Progress takeover shows after COVID-19 was declared a pandemic um, and the resulting economic crisis took hold of the United, United States. Uh, The student debt crisis was obviously a crisis long before the pandemic started, but uh, it has been long clear that COVID-19 was just going to make this even worse. Uh, COVID-19 exacerbated lots of issues and the student debt crisis was definitely one of them. Um, It's made it worse for many student loan borrowers, especially student borrowers of color and student borrowers working in the service industry. Uh, So since we covered the subject on our last show, um, much of the limited relief provided by the CARES Act has expired. And at this point, there is endless confusion around what comes next for the suspension of student loan payments uh, and the stopped collections on defaulted loans. Um, If those resume on October 1st, the way they were originally supposed to be, lots of borrowers are going to be left in very precarious positions. So to talk more with us about how student borrowers are being affected by the pandemic, uh, what the government can do to provide real relief, and why student debt is a civil rights issue, we are joined by Natalia Abrams, the Executive Director at Student Debt Crisis. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Natalia. It's good to have you back. Thank you, Charlotte and Brent. It's great to be back. Um, 
Really, I agree with you. Uh, an issue that interests me deeply, but also, um, you know, is hard because we know so many student loan borrowers are suffering. Absolutely. Uh, and we are also joined by Mike Pierce, the policy director at the Student Borrower Protection Center. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And I love the chance to talk about student debt. Yeah. Um, so to get us started, uh, Mike, I'm going to start. I'm going to start with you. Can you tell us a little bit more about the mission of the organization that you work for, the Student Borrower Protection Center, and your role at the organization? Sure. Uh, I'm the policy director of the Student Borrower Protection Center. We're the new kid on town uh, in the fight to protect student loan borrowers from predatory actors across the student loan market and the financial services industry. We were founded by the team um, that worked at the Federal Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the agency that Elizabeth Warren started in the Obama administration. Uh, and, and in that role, we had led a government-wide effort to try to crack down on abuses by student loan companies and help end the student debt crisis. And when the Trump administration took over, uh, we had some trouble continuing to move forward with our mission uh, for a whole bunch of reasons that are really obvious, I think, to everyone that's listening here. The Trump administration just didn't take borrowers' rights as a priority and did everything it could to uh, obstruct justice when law enforcement officials took action against student loan companies uh, and for-profit colleges and just generally ignore borrowers' rights. And so uh, we created this new nonprofit uh, to try to continue to move forward with that mission. Uh, and we're really excited to talk more about that work today. Yeah, I love that you uh, y'all took um, your knowledge and your skill set um, from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and you said, "Hey, if we can't do this work from the inside, we are sure as hell going to keep doing it from the outside." So excited to have you with us, Mike. Um, Natalia, can you give us a little bit more context on the work that Student Debt Crisis does? And you know, truly one of the leading organizations, longtime organizations. I think your name says it all. You basically created the branding around how people talk about this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, thank you, Charlotte, for that kind introduction. And yeah, we named our organization Student Debt Crisis in 2012 when we were um, when we started because we felt that unfortunately our country only took action when there is a crisis, and I think we're seeing that right now in COVID. And at that point, it had already become a crisis for so many borrowers. I, you know, what we do at Student Debt Crisis is to reform the way we pay for education, and since 2012. We have been fighting to cancel student debt, and we've had over 2.2 million petition signatures garnered on that issue, and more than 1.2 million since this COVID crisis has begun. So, you know, our main goals are to educate borrowers on what's out there now until we can change the legislation, continue to advocate and work with groups like Student Borrower Protection Center and Generation Progress and Higher Ed Not Debt, and then also work to change the legislation so we all can have a better future. Awesome. And thank you for the work that y'all do. Yeah, you know, we're so just jumping in here and thanks for the thanks for the work you all have been leading. As Charlotte said at the in the intro, student debt has been um, a crisis long before the COVID pandemic hit. And, you know, Natalia, hearing you talk about naming the organization and launching the organization in 2012, you know, speaks exactly to that. And now we're we're six months into this pandemic, and we're facing yet another crisis here, which is the economic crisis. Um, you look at some of these charts where we're seeing unemployment numbers drop to the lowest level since the Great Depression, surpassing what we saw in 2007 and 2008. Uh, we know that young people are getting 
disproportionately impacted because of the gig economy, because they're more likely to be frontline workers, because we're in service industry jobs disproportionately. We know young people of color especially are getting impacted right now financially um, you know, by, by this resulting economic crisis. Mike, can you, can you give us a little bit of an, of an overview of what student borrowers in particular are facing right now and, and which borrowers are, are being most impacted? Sure. Uh, so America faced a student debt crisis before the pandemic. And I think that's uh, to the, really to the credit of, of Natalia and her team and, and many of the other uh, advocates that have been fighting in the space for a decade to help people understand that uh, 45 million Americans were struggling under the weight of $1.7 trillion worth of student debt. And, and maybe even more alarmingly, one in four of those borrowers was either past due or in default on a student loan. Uh, and recent research from, from us shows that there are hidden costs. There's a secret price you pay when you have student debt that actually carries across borrowers' lifetime, even if they've never missed a student loan payment. A typical borrower with a high student debt burden may pay $30,000 more in other costs when they take out mortgages or get car loans or use credit cards. So um, I think when we talk about the student debt crisis before the pandemic, we really worried about the effects of these debts on uh, the economy and, and kind of on everybody and then particularly on black and brown borrowers, um, that borrowers uh, of color tend to struggle more, they tend to borrow more, um, and they tend to be failed by the, the very complicated student loan system at much greater rates than, than uh, white borrowers. And the, the pandemic and the ensuing uh, economic crisis that we're facing now has only made all of that worse. Yeah, thanks, Mike. That that makes sense. It, it certainly has made things worse here, and to your point, was already in, in crisis proportions beforehand. Natalia, what are you, what are you seeing in terms of how the financial crisis is impacting the work that you're doing day in day out? Uh, you know, a, a lot busier. I, I think many of us on this call, uh, it's been nonstop work since co you know COVID began, and you know I echo what Mike said and what Charlotte said. We've all been working for years on this crisis, but it just went into overdrive the moment this hit. And I would say what borrowers are facing most or what we hear from emails and calls is just so much confusion. Um, they're not sure what uh, new legislation, how it applies to them, if they're one of the loans that aren't included, how long this will last. Um, there's just so much confusion. So, you know, what we aim to do, and I know Student Borrower Protection Center does as well, is to help untangle th that confusion for borrowers as much as we can. But even for us, there's uh, not enough information coming out um, soon enough for borrowers to feel a, some sense of calm. Yeah, I mean, just from personal experience, I know I was, you know, on my own, uh, on my own portal from the student loan servicer that has my student loans, trying to figure out whether loans were going to be suspended or not, whether they counted towards public service loan forgiveness or not, and certainly, and I think we'll get to it in, in the next couple of uh, segments here. The a little bit of talk about the executive order that came out from Donald Trump that may or may not be legal, that may or may not be helpful, uh, and all the problems surrounding that with sort of that that half-hearted, half-step, awfully confusing EO that came out. Um, and how that's added to uh, to additional confusion here, especially among student loan borrowers. So uh, you're listening right now to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host Brent J. Cohen, and I'm uh, we'll be right back after this break, talking more about the student debt crisis and the impact that the COVID pandemic is having here.
If you missed Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. Um, And we are back with Natalia Abrams, the Executive Director at Student Debt Crisis, as well as Mike Pierce from the Student Borrower Protection Center. And today we are talking about something uh, that is depressing, but important because there is so much confusion around it. Uh, we're talking about the student debt crisis and how student borrowers are being affected um, by this pandemic. Uh, so Natalia, I w- I'd like to pick up on something we were talking about um, just before the commercial break. When we left off, um, what do you think some of the misconceptions are um, that are still widely held in discussions around student debt? You know, I, I don't want to say this is like a new issue because I know people have been struggling with it for a long time, but I still think that there are like multi-generational perceptions. People have different uh, opinions about the solutions, that sort of thing. Um, and how do those misconceptions impact the national conversation on this crisis? Uh, yeah, Charlotte, great question. And you're absolutely right. I think you know, folks don't understand that this is a multi-generational issue. Uh, Mike already talked about this, but this is a civil rights issue. We see student debt uh, predominantly or impacting um, Black and Latinx borrowers uh, more so than uh, their white counterparts. And I would say that, you know, from the public, what we hear sometimes in pushback from our, you know, big mailing list is, you know, it's your fault, you should have to pay it back. I, th- I think that's one of the biggest things that we hear when folks do not understand how deceptive a student loan service can be, how hard it is to repay back. Um, and so many of the borrowers we talk to have been repaying their loans back and it's due to so many errors that they've lost thousands of dollars over the lifetime of their loan. And I think, you know, the general public doesn't understand that. Um, but we are seeing a change. You know, we are starting to see widespread support for things like debt cancellation, at least up to ten thousand um, dollars. In terms of fifty-three percent of voters are supporting that. Um, but to go back to your question about, you know, how does this hurt uh, the crisis? It hurts meaningful legislation. You know, Americans need to understand that canceling student loan debt is one of the easiest debts that the federal government can cancel right now. And especially in a crisis like this that we're in, we could do something that could help 45 million people. But we have to continue um, to dispel those misconceptions. And I would say, you know, all of the groups on this call and so many other um, great organizations have been fighting hard for, you know, almost 10 years plus now at this point. And finally, student loan borrowers have a seat at the table. And We are being included in relief packages. It's not enough, but this is a new space for borrowers, which I think adds to the confusion. But that is something that excites me a bit, that I can see the road to meaningful change. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, one of the things you said about misconceptions here and about um, student debt cancellation picking up popularity I feel like people are starting to kind of glom on to the fact that this is not something that always costs as much as it does. Uh, So when we're talking about student loan borrowers having student debt cancellation, like not everybody had to pay as much for a college education as people have been paying um, in the past, you know, 20 or so years as the federal government and states shifted money out of the higher education systems to pay for everything else and budgets were cut. 
those got set onto student loan borrowers, right? So this is something I, when I when we talk about cancellation here, this is not something that is. Uh, it's like the government should be helping to put the bill for this either on the front end or the back end. So uh, it's just absolutely uh, we're talking about the pain and suffering of so many borrowers in the interim when we're talking about the back end here. Not to mention, as you said, the confusion. Um, Mike, can you give us a little bit of a refresher on what Congress was able to do or, you know, maybe not do for student borrowers um, in the CARES Act, one of the stimulus packages uh, earlier this year, and what the status of legislation is that Congress is uh, considering now? Sure. So uh, I guess maybe taking two steps back, when the pandemic hit, Congress took student debt seriously. And I think we should all recognize how far we've come from when Natalia and I and others were doing this work more than a decade ago, the last time America faced a, a, what we thought was a once-in-a-generation economic crisis, and student loan borrowers weren't even on the agenda. So the fact that, that student debt was something that was front and center, right alongside um, economic security, housing security, protecting healthcare worker safety, uh, is really an amazing triumph for organizations like Natalia's and like Gen Progress and Higher Ed Not Debt for, for getting student loan borrowers to be front and center. And what Congress did, um, so what it did do was pause student loan payments for tens of millions of student loan borrowers and pick up the interest charges on those debts while payments were paused. That's only the borrowers whose loans were owned by the federal government. So um, it's tens of millions of people, but it did leave out about 9 million people. Um, and what it didn't do is it didn't cancel student debt. Uh, and we continue to advocate all of the groups on, on uh, that are here today I continue to push for a long-term solution. Congress kicked the can down the road for those tens of millions of people that helped. It was great to take the economic pressure off of those families so they don't have to worry about their student loan bills, uh, at least through October 1st. Um, but it's not a long-term solution to our student debt crisis. Yeah. You know? Sorry, go ahead, Brent. Sorry, Charlie. I'm, I'll, I'll just one quick point, and then I'll kick it right back to you, which is just to underscore the point that both Natalia and Mike made about how far this conversation has come um, around people recognizing the importance of addressing the student uh, loan crisis and student debt crisis, that it, it made it into the CARES Act when we know so many other things were, 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 did not make it in, and that it, um, it continues to be part of the, the conversation and central piece here going forward. So just wanted to you know, underscore and highlight that, that point that was made there. Yeah, and I think, you know, I... I thought it was just so great to see that there were proposals um, from the House of $30,000 in student loan cancellation from Senate Dems for $10,000 in uh, student loan cancellation. But what we saw was uh, those proposals were made and then and then what happened uh, you know then then uh, who took over here? Um, I think Mitch McConnell. <laughs> <laughs> so I think those uh, those didn't end up going anywhere. Um, Mike, can you tell us a little bit more about like, is there still a chance that we get cancellation or, or what's happening here? So I, I think it's helpful to think about where we are in August of 2020 and where we could be in February of 2021. So I would certainly say there's a chance that we see significant broad-based student debt cancellation in the next six months. Uh, whether this administration is the one to, to, to shepherd that in, I think we should all be skeptical because you're totally right that, that Mitch McConnell has pumped the brakes on broad-based debt cancellation on a long-term solution 
the student debt crisis. Uh, but it's on the agenda. And uh, Vice President Biden has endorsed $10,000 worth of debt cancellation for everybody, uh, which is a huge step forward uh, and, and uh, a conversation that was almost unimaginable during the Obama era. Yeah, you're so right. Uh, that I mean, just what has been proposed um, because of the pandemic um, has been leaps and bounds beyond um, what we ever thought might be possible um, during this Congress. Uh, well, you're listening to the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Um, we are excited to keep talking about what's going to happen with your student loans um, when we come back from this commercial break. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Leslie Marshall, real people, real life, real talk. Hello and welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. And we're talking today about the student debt crisis, $1.7 trillion in student debt that's out there, and the fact that the COVID-19 pandemic and resulting economic crisis here is exacerbating uh, that existing crisis as well as the disparities within it. Uh, joining us as experts on this topic, so glad to have them as guests today, are Natalia Abrams, Executive Director of the Student Debt Crisis, and Mike Pierce, Policy Director at the Student Borrower Protection Center. Thank you both for coming back here with us. So I wanted to, uh, wanted to jump into the, the sort of latest news here. Uh, we've talked a bit about what Congress was and wasn't able to do during the CARES package. Um, and we, for folks who have been following you know that the Senate waited until the, the excuse me, the, the Senate majority, uh, led by Mitch McConnell, waited until four days before unemployment benefits expired to uh, make even a half-hearted attempt at any continuation of support for um, people living in the United States who are being impacted here by the financial crisis. And so we Senate left, and there's no package on the table. There's no agreement. Uh, the House and the Senate remain far, far apart. And Donald Trump issued a series of executive orders, uh, apparently an attempt to play the hero, I'm not sure, uh, one of which was designed to extend relief for student borrowers. Uh, Natalia, can you provide some context for us here on that executive order and what it actually does or, or doesn't do? So, you know, I think, just to start out, this is some of what's adding to the confusion, but from, you know, what we're gathering uh, it, uh, the president proposed that we will have an has an executive memo to extend the payment pause, so you would not have to pay your student loans. Uh, to our knowledge, this may be the same group of borrowers, and excluding about nine million borrowers that have um, different types of federal loans, Perkins loans, or commercial fell loans, and then it would also be at zero percent interest. However, at this point, we haven't gotten a clear memo from the Department of Education on how this is going to be implemented, which is, you know, adding to some concern. Uh, just today, the Financial Student Aid Center uh, tweeted out to one of our supporters that they would include public service loan forgiveness payments, 
we've heard that via tweets. We have no other official <laughs> memo. So, <laughs> this know, is the, the Department of Education yeah. is saying this. Uh, this is federal student aid saying this. Okay. Yes, an official government account. So maybe that's where we're going to get our directives via Twitter. Oh I don't God. know. But just, you know, it, so to our knowledge, uh, it would be an extension. You know, all I guess we know right now from the executive memo is an extension of the payment pause and the 0% interest for a majority of federal student loan borrowers. Okay, so that is definitely confusing. Um, I feel like uh, it still feels, you know, no wonder people are emailing you. No wonder people on your list service are, are sort of saying like, so what am I supposed to be doing? Am I starting to repay on October 1st or am I not? Because the answer seems to be like, we're pretty sure no, based off of what the president said, unless you are one of the 8 million borrowers that were left out of this. So, I mean, it sounds to me like we still actually just really need Congress to do something, like something official here uh, in order to make sure that there is like, clear, like everybody's clear, everything's, everything's sure, and everybody's on the same page. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. I think this is not the way we want it done by executive memo or by Twitter directive. We need to see <laughs> action from Congress um, and the way they did it with uh, CARES Act and fixing the mistakes uh, and uh, leaving out borrowers. We also need to get a lot of clarity on does this order, you know, protect borrowers that are in income-driven repayment programs? Does this protect defaulted borrowers and having their wages wages garnished or being harassed by collection phone calls? So there's a lot of, you know, there's far more unknowns than knowns if we even have any official knowns. And not to mention, I mean, like the guy still didn't do what we're all asking him to do. Uh, it's nice to nice to announce some payment pauses for people, obviously very important and very necessary, but also it is not student debt cancellation. Let's just, let's just no. make that clear. If you're going to wave your wand and, you know, sit at the desk and sign an executive order, why not be bold and actually do something truly meaningful and cancel all student loan debt? Yeah, well, cool. I, that sounds pretty uh, par for the course, um, I guess, with this administration. So, can, uh, you know, maybe if we had somebody who was not Betsy DeVos as the head of the Department of Education, maybe if we had a president who could appoint somebody who knew what they were doing at the Department of Education, we'd have a little bit more guidance here. <laughs> um, well, you know. Uh, thank you. That, that's Mark. I appreciate the sound effects, Mark, for uh, doing <laughs> our, our producer on the show. Exactly. At least right. I can do. <laughs> um, well, in the interim, it sounds like states are trying to take matters into their own hands and say, if there's all this confusion um, under the Trump administration and under his appointees like Betsy DeVos, we are going to do something about this on the state level to at least protect our own borrowers. Um, Mike, I'm wondering if I can tap you to talk a little bit about what's happening in California. Um, tomorrow is a, it sounds like a critical hearing on California's student loan borrower bill of rights. Why is this hearing so important and what can borrowers in California do today to take action um, on, I think it's AB 376. Can you talk a little bit more about what that legislation would do um, and what people should be asking for? That is a great question, Charlotte. So I, we have been working um, Student Debt Crisis and Student Borrower Protection Center, along with Consumer Reports and NextGen and Young Invincibles and the California Federation of Teachers um, and a coalition of more than 70 other organizations 
organizations representing workers and people of color and veterans and students and consumers across the state of California uh, have been working for nearly two years to create uh, the strongest set of protections for student loan borrowers in state law anywhere in the country. Taking a step back, when the Trump administration took over, Betsy DeVos declared war on student loan borrowers uh, and standing up for borrowers were state attorneys general, state banking departments, and individual borrowers banding together to sue the government and to sue student loan companies to enforce their rights because the Trump administration didn't make it a priority and didn't care that student loan borrowers' rights were being trampled on. And uh, in state legislatures across the country, uh, state lawmakers started passing strong new consumer protections to make it easier for borrowers to defend themselves in court to hold companies accountable when they break the law. Uh, and in California, for nearly two years, we've been working on uh, a piece of legislation that hopefully will set the national standard for the kind of uh, rights and protections that borrowers with mortgages and with credit cards and with other financial products have long taken for granted. Uh, so when you woke up the day after the election, I bet you didn't worry about what your credit card company was going to do with your money when you paid your bill. But for tens of millions of student loan borrowers, um, it was it, it's up to the, the, the presidential election uh, to figure out how your student loan company will handle your money, uh, whether they have to be straight with you when you ask for help. And tomorrow is the very end of the process. So our bill has received big bipartisan votes in every committee and on the floor of the California. And we're now at the very end of the process. And the California Appropriations uh, Committee, uh, which is chaired by Senator uh, Anthony Portentino um, has the ability to make or break this bill with a vote tomorrow. And if it moves through this last key hurdle, uh, it's likely to end up on uh, Governor Newsom's desk within a month uh, and will be law uh, and will give California borrowers these rights that everyone else has taken for granted for decades. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, I feel like we should talk a little bit more about uh, the servicers here. When when we're t when we're saying servicers, like who are some of the big servicers in California? Just so people are like, oh yeah, that's th those are the ones that I'm getting in my email uh, that are really driving me up a wall. I'm sorry, Mike. I don't know if we lost you there for a second. Oh, so sorry. That's uh. Those are companies like Navient and Nelnet and uh, Fed Loan Servicing, which is everybody's favorite uh, punching bag at the moment, who's, who's been responsible for screwing up the public service loan forgiveness program and the Teach Grant program. These are the big companies that the government hires to handle student loans. And uh, uniquely in California, this is also the big banks. So if you have a private student loan that's owned by Wells Fargo or Discover and California passes this new law, you're going to have new rights to be able to hold Discover and Wells Fargo accountable too. Um, other states that have taken on this fight have shied away from fighting against the banks, too. Uh, and what California is working to do, what we think we can achieve here, um, is providing all student loan borrowers, no matter who your creditor is, with a set of clear, enforceable rights. Awesome. And Natalia, I know some. I know that y'all are a national organization, but you're also based in California. So you have a ton of borrowers that you work with in California. <laughs> um, is there anything that you or Student Debt Crisis want to add uh, in, re in relation to this bill or the borrowers' bills of rights that you've been working on? Yeah, you know, so I just want to second, Mike, on just how many organizations have joined. So we've had, you know, more, nearly two dozen civil rights organizations sign on to support this state legislation. And the one thing <clears throat> folks can do on this call, if you're on Twitter, go to hashtag protect borrowers. 
and then take some action. Retweet from us. We really need to target uh, State Senator Anthony Fortentino and let him know that this bill needs to pass out of appropriations tomorrow. Awesome. Thanks, Natalia. Hashtag protect borrowers. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. And I am Charlotte Hancock. And we are talking today with uh, Natalia Abrams, Executive Director of the Student Debt Crisis, and Mike Pierce, Policy Director at the Student Borrower Protection Center, about the impact of COVID-19 and the economic crisis on student loan borrowers, and really just the student debt crisis overall. Um, And so... uh, you know, I think right now folks are, people across the country are facing a health pandemic that continues to spread uncontrolled. Uh, people are, a lot of millennials are, are parents of young children now who are in schools and we're grappling with whether to send our kids to school or not, or in cases where school is opening remotely, how to, you know, frankly, both work and parent and teach all at the same time, in addition to a host of other um really difficult decisions that people are being forced to make right now because of government mismanagement of the pandemic. And so student debt for some people is really acute and and largely at the top of that list as people are forced to make decisions between, uh, you know, potentially here may be forced to make decisions around paying student debts or paying um, for rent, for example, or food. And so Given all that we've talked about so far, Natalia, turning to you here first, just want to get a sense for how people can plug in. I think we started to talk a little bit about it before break with the hashtag you mentioned, but how for folks who are at home and feel like they want to take action, what's something that somebody can do right now? Well, you know, so we first we believe that you should get your own, you know, personal economic life in control and then, you know, help us with the fight at to cancel student debt and to take action or do both simultaneously. So one of the things that we want student loan borrowers to know is that, you know, before this COVID crisis, there were repayment plans in place for federal loan borrowers, federal student loan borrowers called income driven repayment programs that base your repay, your payments on your income versus on your overall student loan amount. So if you are a borrower who has lost your job, especially during this COVID pandemic, or had senior hours greatly reduced, you can enroll in one of those programs right now and set your payments for the next year. So that way you don't have to worry, is it gonna be October or is it gonna be January 1st, right after Christmas when most of us are not feeling our richest um, to repay your student loan debt. So that is one thing that we are encouraging borrowers to do first and foremost. And then yes, please visit our website at studentdebtcrisis.org. Uh, I'm sure, um, you know, also uh, Student Borrower Protection Center um, at studentdebtcrisis.org. We encourage student loan borrowers to share their stories. Uh, Those stories are shared with the world, frankly, and uh, legislators and the media to really get the word out and take action by contacting your representatives and letting them know how you feel about this issue and, you know, Absolutely, thousand percent vote. You know, Mike talked about it. Student loan borrowers depend on who is in the office of the White House. So we need to all vote this November, and that is, you know, that would probably be number one. 
I really appreciate, Natalia, what you said about making sure that you're um, looking out for yourself and making sure that you're paying attention to your own financial setup first, because obviously none of us uh, can afford to be activists if we are worried about other things that come first on our hierarchy of needs. So definitely want to echo that and second that. And I really appreciate all the work that y'all are doing to make sure that borrowers have the resources that they need um, with the income-driven repayment programs. Um, and lowering people's student loan payments through things that are already available to them for free through uh, the federal government. So um, thank you for for doing that. Um, Mike, if people want to get involved um, with the work the Student Borrower Protection Center is doing, um, what's something that you would suggest people do um, in addition, obviously, to making sure that um, their own student loans are not stressing them out um, any more than they have to? Well, first, I, I would say one more piece of advice. Uh, we all need to look out for each other when things seem wrong with our student loans, because that's how you get the kind of policy change that Natalia was talking about. So the best thing you can do if you feel like you're just slamming your head against the wall and can't get through to your student loan company or can't make heads or tails of what you're being told is to submit a complaint to your state attorney general or to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau or to your state student loan ombudsman if you live in a state that has one. Um, you can learn more about where to go for help on our website at protectborrowers.org. We have resources for people dealing with their student loans in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and if you want to get involved generally in our advocacy work to try to drive policy change that will end the student debt crisis, including debt cancellation uh, and state level reforms to protect student loan borrowers, you can learn more about that work too at protectborrowers.org. Awesome. Thanks so much, Mike. So I know before the commercial break, we were talking here a little bit about borrowers' bills of rights um, and, you know, the gold standard that we're hoping gets passed in California. Uh, what else would y'all like to see done next um, in the policy space to really address the root of this crisis, ensure that people who are being most deeply affected uh, get the aid and the the relief that they need? I'm going to, Natalia, I'm going to um, toss that one over to you first. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think right now we are so just laser focused on making sure that this bill gets passed. Um, we need to, you know, make sure that. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but which bill? Sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. AB 376 here in um, for California borrowers. You know, we want um, to see that here and across the states. And for, you know, all borrowers, like what we're looking for is I think this combination of we need to cancel student loan debt, but we also need to see increased consumer protections um, on the books and then make sure that we enact it and the penalties match the crime. And then that part is very important. You know, I always say that even if we canceled all the debt tomorrow and made college free, there's still a lot of harm that's been done by these student loan servicers. Navient, Nelnet, those names that are very familiar with us. And that's where, you know, the great work of the Student Borrower Protection Center um, and the work that the Obama administration's Consumer Financial Protection Bureau did uh, was we need more of that. So we're, we're always going to need cons more consumer protections in this space, even if we do cancel the debt. Thanks. I think that is 
I think that's absolutely true. Um, you know, this is just a much newer lending market than say the, the, um, the housing lending market and just, it's sort of like the wild, wild west out there. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, and Mike, what about you? Um, anything else you would like to see done next to really address the, the root of this crisis, um, and ensure that people who are feeling this most deeply actually get the aid and the relief that they need? Um, so, Natalia, I agree with everything Natalia just said. Passing 376 this month is critical to protect nearly 4 million student loan borrowers in the state of California, and we need to cancel student debt yesterday. Uh, the next set of things that should be a focus for advocates and for borrowers, um, the state of New Jersey is actually moving forward with a piece of legislation to protect borrowers when they get sued by student loan companies if they're in default, and, and this really is an equity issue. Um Black and brown borrowers are disproportionately the target of debt collectors and debt collection lawsuits by student loan companies. And uh, just like states did in the wake of the financial crisis to help homeowners stay in their homes and avoid unlawful foreclosures, states need to take action to protect borrowers from getting sued for debts that they don't owe, for debts that are fraudulent, for debts that were taken on to pay for predatory for-profit schools. Um, so looking around the corner, if we can get AB 376 done and we can get some student debt canceled, um, we also need to make sure that the justice system uh, is able to protect student loan borrowers and that companies that are um, trying to defraud them are held accountable. Great. Thank you, Mike. And we have just a couple minutes left in the show today, but um, you guys shared so many great resources. I really want to make sure that we hit again on uh, where you work and where people can find more from, from you before the end of the show today. Uh, Natalia, where can folks find more about you and your work at Student Debt Crisis? Yeah, so thank you for a chance for another plug, but studentdebtcrisis.org. So I'll say that again, studentdebtcrisis.org. You can follow us on Twitter at debtcrisis.org. Um, there you'll see you know, news about student loan debt, be, student debt tools to help you with repayment and ways to take action both in California and nationally. Awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, Mike, I'm going to ask you the same question about Student Borrower Protection Center. Um, we are at protectborrowers.org, um, and you can learn more and get help at protectborrowers.org. Um, we are also working together with Student Debt Crisis and other California organizations at californiaborrowers.org. That's where you can learn more about AB 376 and the fight that's going on this month in Sacramento. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, and these organizations here are also both members of the Higher Ed Not Debt campaign um, that Generation Progress runs. Um, so if you want to find more about the coalition work happening in this space, you should definitely check out higherednotdebt.org and follow Higher Ed Not Debt on Twitter as well. Uh, this is all the time that we have for today. Thank you so much to today's guests. We had Natalia Abrams and Mike Pierce. Thanks to our producer, Mark Grimaldi, and to Emily Leach, our senior press associate and to all of our listeners. We will talk to y'all next week. Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day.
With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details.